0: Hey, welcome to Tangible Takeaways, episode ninety-five. Uh, I'm here today with Pastor Todd, and you might notice things look a little bit different, a little bit strange. Yeah, yes. a little off on Tangible Takeaways. Missing the sofa. We're, um, yeah, we're missing the comfort of the sofa and uh, all of the homey vibes of our studio. But uh, our studio is currently under construction as we're working on our Christmas graphic. So uh, Tangible Takeaways set is all over the place and uh, all discombobulated. So we're here uh, still rocking with Tangible Takeaways, just slightly different format. Yeah. So, um New series, new vibe. I guess on tangible takeaways. I told our video guy he's pretty much out of a job at this point. So uh, <laughs> we figured it out. And we like,
1: well, yeah, we appreciated your help, but we no longer need your services.
0: Yeah, yeah. Everybody's gonna, everybody's gonna miss him after this episode. That's um, true. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're we're here as we're kicking off a new series, the One and Others. Um, I appreciated you said this weekend. And also, um, you also said, I think in your blog post that you wrote about this series as well, uh, just the idea, this idea around fellowship and uh, really misunderstandings that you had around what that meant um, and something that you see maybe might be a hole for many of us as well. So let's talk a little bit just from the beginning as we're looking at the series from a broader perspective about the importance of really understanding what fellowship is. Uh, from a biblical
1: perspective. Yeah, no, that's good. And I do think, right, like that's a word that we just use in church. I mean, outside of a Lord of the Rings movie, you know, you just don't know that word and you don't use it. You don't think of it. Uh, in terms of just everyday practical use. So, the word actually, and if you, some people have heard this Greek word before, koinonia, that's the one for one translation, and it's the idea of commonness. What do we have in common? And when we recognize that our commonness comes from our standing with Christ, in terms of that we've, that's what makes us brothers and sisters. So, that relationship of one another is made possible through our faith in the shed blood of Christ. And so now that we've entered into the family of God, then this question is, how do family members behave towards one another? And that's exactly it. We love one another. We serve one another. We pray for one another. So I just felt like when I read that chapter that day in that youth ministry book, just like blinders came off like, oh, that makes so much sense. That's how we behave in the one another's is really the demonstration of our fellowship.
0: Yeah. And it is, it's such a, um, you know, the only context you ever hear about it is, you know, either you have, like you said this weekend, you got a fellowship hall at church or you got some weird old guy who's super into fellowship and you don't know what it means, but it's like, he's like, Hey, let's go fellowship in the courtyard. And you're like, I don't know (laughs) what that means, Bill. I don't know if I want to go. Let's go do it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, let's go do it. I guess, brother Bill. You know, like it's like I don't know. I don't know what we're doing, um, but I think that's such an interesting. Even the the root word, uh, it's such an interesting idea for what fellowship can and should be in the church context. This idea of commonality, or even uh, uh, I think one of the things we don't talk about uh, often when it comes to the idea of fellowship is this commitment to commonality that I'm committed to what we have in common. And I'm committed to staying with what we have in common. I'm not gonna run outside and try to develop commonality politically. I'm not gonna try to develop commonality around my interests or my preferences, but I'm gonna stick to what we have in common, which is Christ and his kingdom and what we share there. And um, you know, I think that maybe early on in your faith or to somebody who doesn't have a whole lot of church experience, That sounds relatively simple, to keep it, like almost to to force that commonality to stay in the same place. But man, if you've been around church long enough, you have seen how hard it is for churches to keep the commonality, it's Pastor Tom's thing, keep the main thing the main thing, to stick that commonality in the same spot and stay committed to remaining in what we have in common at the beginning, because now we're just keeping unity We're not looking to find it in other places. We're keeping the unity we already have in Christ. And so this idea of looking for what you have in common with other believers, like, man, what do we share in Uh, instead of looking for what's different about us? What's what do we have in common? Um, And this then commitment to stick to those things that takes some resolution on our behalf.
1: Uh totally like as you were sharing that it made me think of you know where do we get that line of of maintain this unity? It comes from Ephesians four. Listen to these first few verses and see back to that commonality. It says as a prisoner, this is four one of Ephesians, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. So there's this calling to live out Now that you've entered into this family by faith, there's a purpose to it. There's a calling in it. And this is what he says, be completely Mm. humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. So there's another one another right there. And then make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace but then now get to the commonality because there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, just did that this last weekend across all three of our campuses, one God and Father over all, or of all who is over all and through all and in all. So, I mean, Paul just really ramps up and Ephesians four is this really big shift from all the great theology of one through three Now, how is this going to play out? And so it just makes sense that he would remind them from the very beginning before he gives them a lot of ethics, a lot of what, how you should behave towards one another. Let me remind you of your commonality and where it's found. And like you said, it's not found politically. It's not found ethnically. It's not found in socioeconomics. It's not found in preferences. It's found in Christ. And so that's a great way just to begin that conversation of, we have to keep coming back to what holds us together. And then once we know that, then we can behave accordingly to what that unity it, you know calls us to.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's so easy to, I think, want to run to other things or be enticed to running to other things instead of sticking with what we With our first faith, right? With the first thing that we were called to, it takes some resilience and some narrow-mindedness on our part to say, no, this is what we have in common, and we're not going to budge. We're not looking for greener pasture. We're going to stick to the things that we share in common, and we're not looking for anything new. And um, then when you get to this specific one another of how we relate to each other in this family, of love one another, obviously the chief out of all of the other one another's, given even the instructions that you were looking at that Jesus gives to his disciples, people are gonna know you by the way that you love each other. They're gonna know that you're mine in the way that you love each other, that the invisible God is made visible in the way that we love each other. Just so many reasons why this is so important. And um, you gave that great going through 1 Corinthians 13, that beautiful passage about love and uh, and very convicting as you prompted us to ask the question if you were to substitute your name for love what how true would those statements be is Jackson patient is Jackson kind Um, and you go down the list if you were to look at those things this weekend and say man there's a lot of those that I'm slacking on there's a lot that if I were to ask people They would honestly tell me that I'm that I'm super impatient and I'm volatile and I don't always believe the best or hope or whatever. Right. Um, How how do we begin to take steps to rectify that or to grow in those areas if we realize that there's a deficit there?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, it's almost like, you know, when they talk about this idea of uh, how do you eat an elephant, you know, one bite at a time. And it's that same thing. I, you probably had this when you were doing uh, assignments in school. I felt this way. This big project, just like I'll never get it done. I don't even want to start. So it can be so intimidating. So if you identify, and it might not even be because of that list, let's say there's like 17 um, qualifications or descriptors of love in that passage. It's doubtful that someone is deficient in all 17. So it's not even to say there's so many areas that don't look loving, but even let's say that idea of patience. If love is patient, then, um, and and I recognize in my own life, I'm not, then that can itself seem like a mountain range to scale. Like how am I ever, because I've maybe been impatient my whole life. That's an area that the Holy Spirit and what is that even idea when you go back to even the fruit of the Spirit in Ephesians 5 it is the evidence of the Spirit's work is that I am growing in and demonstrating patience so then I think I have to do the math a little bit to go God this is an area that has not been under your lordship that has not been under my surrendering to the Spirit because that's the thing about any of these one another's as we dive in or even the character qualities of love I don't think I'm going to be able to do them just by trying harder. Otherwise, I don't really need the spirit of God indwelling me to help me grow in them. I can just get better. And while there might be some aspects of discipline and intentionality, at the end of the day, it's the spirit of God that is giving me the power, that has given me the will, that has given me the desire even to want to live in a way that is honoring to God and Benefits other people around me. So I think it has to begin with that recognition. I am deficient in this area of my love Secondly, it has to I think move to a confession and recognize God I'm weak in this area. I'm not demonstrating love to others like I know you'd want me to as a as your child as their brother or sister I'm not demonstrating this quality. And then I think out of that confession, the beginning of repentance is to say, and Father, would your spirit that indwells within me continue to help change my want to's, change my behaviors, my attitudes, so that I will demonstrate love in this area. And I think honestly, even if we get that far, which seems like maybe a lot of like steps, I still don't know if that's still quite enough, though. And what I mean by that is I think it might take practice, right? Like rarely have I seen a quality in my life that does not look like Jesus begin to look like Jesus just because I prayed and I asked the Spirit of God to take control. I think there's areas that back to that disengage and engage that I'm called to take some action as well. And so it might need to be these like even if it's – What's the right word? A training of my own spirit to go, you know what? Uh, I'm back to impatience. I'm not going to go to a a set of checkout lines and try to manipulate which one's going to be quick because they never are. Anyways, I always pick the worst line. I'm actually going to be okay with whatever line I show up in and I'm going to be patient. I'm almost kind of teaching myself and giving God opportunities to grow patience and patience. Mm. Yeah, I think those are great
0: pieces of advice, because we are so prone to say, if I can't do it perfectly, or if I can't fix it 100% right out of the gate, then I'm just not going to do it at all. Just pass on the whole thing. And I think that's such a, um, it's such a miss on our part. You know, we God never saved you because you were patient, right? So he knows that you're not patient. He knows that you have a deficit in that area or whatever other areas you want to fill in the blank. And he still saved you and he still loves you. And he's still patient with you much more so than you are with yourself. And so this isn't some like, it's, this isn't like speed discipleship, which I think we often think of that God is just trying to push us through the discipleship process so he can be done with us. He, he loves the day-over-day rhythms of you being slightly formed into his image day-over-day. The fact that even some days you take three steps backwards and the next day you take a couple steps forward, that doesn't bother him. He loves those rhythms and that process of you learning to want the things that he wants. And he's, he's embraced the process. And if he's the one leading and fueling the process – then we need to embrace the process because if he's committed to it, we can't go any faster than he wants us to and he is allowing us to. And so how can I how can I become content with his pacing and say, hey, we might not figure this whole thing out, but man, I would miss out on so much if I don't start because there's so much benefit to taking a couple of steps in the right direction in this area. And as you do, you see like the benefit of it right you see oh man that works and that does improve the way i interact with other people and the way other people interact with me and there's you begin to see the blessing in living life god's way and what you're going to find is it compounds because now you want it because you're seeing the benefit as you begin to see the benefit and you begin to trust him more you can trust him for this area and you can trust him for this area and so it's just this kind of like You just got to get started in the first place. And I think if we can take away that barrier of, man, if I can't fix it tomorrow, I'm out. I think we'll see so much
1: transformation in those areas in our life. I, I love that. And I think, you know, here we are in this series of one another's. we're talking about a lot of dynamics of community. This is another way that that community becomes an ally to me is that as I'm doing life with them and I've really taken to heart my loving, my loving of them is lacking because I don't demonstrate consistent patience as I put myself into first Corinthians 13 then when i begin to do that not only are they noticing and probably commenting hey man i just i've appreciated in the last couple months i've noticed you've just taken a real step towards being more patient maybe not perfectly everything up into the right but i'm seeing that and that man that on the one hand is really affirming and encouraging but the other step is when i say and you know what when you see me slack in that area would you just be a a good friend and remind me of that because you know i've told you my heart is i want to be i want to demonstrate my love for you and for the others in our our group our community and um and that get that helps me get better at that helps me grow in that and that's where i think the life on life part i, I want to keep getting away from what i and so many people have done for so long as christians is just keep making it about my own personal growth in a vacuum that's not contextualized in a community, because I think that's mm. how we are supposed to grow. Not all these siloed individuals growing in their own ways, but as a as a community, as a group, as a, a brotherhood and sisterhood, that we would be moving together. And, and we get that encouragement, just like when you go to, to, to the gym, you take a buddy and you guys have some mutual accountability and that mutual sense of, well, They're showing up. I better be there too. All those dynamics are part of what God's designed us for. Mm.
0: Yeah. No, that's so good. And as I think about any concerted effort I have made to try to love people better, right? As I'm sure many of us are walking away from this message of just like, man, I fall short in the way that I love people. Or even in uh, just my pursuit of loving people. I think that many of us are guilty of that in different seasons of our life. I'm not even really trying to love people. I've just kind of gone back into my own rhythms. One of the things that I've realized makes it challenging for me to embrace that pursuit of loving the people around me is my own selfishness. I just begin thinking about what I have going on today, the problems that I'm facing, the to-do list that I have. And it just begins this kind of list of thinking about myself, thinking about things that I need. And love is functionally, even in that great Bible project video that you showed, it's meeting other people's needs without asking for things in return. And so if I'm supposed to be hunting other people's needs and looking for how I can meet them, but I'm so preoccupied with my own and the things that are going on in my life, it makes it really hard for me to engage that practice of love. And so what would you say are some ways that we can kind of get out from underneath our selfishness? We can get that out of the way, hindering us from operating in love towards other people.
1: Yeah, you know, so good. You're right. Self gets in the way when we are wanting to, I think any of these one another's that would be true of, of either I don't want to be that vulnerable, or I don't have that time, or what have you done for me? You know, all those things, and that one another always has to begin with, but I'm not going to wait for them to do that towards me. I'm going to go first. almost wonder, in some ways, you know, what are the, the ideas, we haven't said the word yet, but the word discipline, like self-discipline, hasn't come up in our conversation. We've talked kind of around that and I wonder if that's in a weird way one of the most loving things I can do towards those that I'm in this you know Jesus community with is to especially with the idea of selfishness one of the reasons I fail to respond appropriately and timely is because I'm just so busy and that's just not Todd but that's most of us And I remember just years ago hearing Pastor Tom talk about margin and how incredibly important that is. But margin is always planned, meaning it's never just like I've got a day that's maxed out, but I'm going to somehow find you're not. It's just thing to thing to thing. There actually is no margin. So the discipline, loving people in advance, being selfless in advance, is creating some space in my already filled calendar to say but i'm not so busy that i can't stop or am i not in this exact moment but i know i've got margin later on today where i can connect with that person and i can behave Mm -hmm. in one of these one another's that hopefully meets needs so i almost wonder if the idea of selfishness it's something, sadly, that I have to plan out of my life. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's got to be, spur, you know, like spontaneous moments I go, this is more important, you know, to ha- to help others in this second, in this um, uh, moment. But other times I wonder if that's actually demonstrating powerfully selflessness in advance by saying I'm going to build margin into my day mm. so that I actually am not, looking at my watch going, ah, I don't really have time for this, but I'm actually like, no, I've actually created space so I could have time for this. Hmm. Yeah,
0: that's really good. I, I think about what uh, um, what you were saying makes me think about a professor uh, in college. It was for a pastoral care and counseling class. So maybe, maybe a little different and at a higher maybe standard for your availability and love and willingness to be with people. Um, But still, I think some really interesting advice that has stuck with me since he talked about the importance of us um, kind of reconciling where we're at emotionally every day before we leave the house. So he was like, you're all college kids and none of you wake up early enough to barely make it where you're going, let alone to spend time in God's word. And he was like, if I could appeal to you even further, I would love for you to spend five to 10 minutes every morning saying, man, where am I at today? Where where am I at emotionally? I'm not the same day over day. So am I happy? Am I sad? Am I, am I afraid of something going wrong in my life? Am I mad about something? And he, he called it this kind of emotional inventory. The image that he would give us is you're kind of sitting on this hillside overlooking a harbor and your emotions come in and they go out and so you're just taking inventory what's in the harbor what do i feel today and he said the whole goal of you doing that is so that for the rest of the day you don't have to think about it because you've already figured out where you are today so now you have the ability to be present with somebody else and say well what are you feeling i know what i'm feeling today i figured that out but let me sit in what you're feeling for a little bit. Let me, let me feel that with you. In, and he said, oftentimes in conversations where people will become vulnerable with us, we're too busy trying to figure out where we're at in the conversation to really sit and be with them. And I think, man, when you talk about that idea of discipline and that idea of, of intentionally building rhythms into my life so that I can be a more loving person, I think we think of loving people as such like winsome, spontaneous people when we don't see the day in day out work that they're doing behind
1: the scenes to truly become people of love. That's great. That's so good, Jackson. It's really thoughtful. I love that. Um, Just that whole concept of what your professor shared. And what's funny is some might actually call that selfish. Like you're spending all this time to start your day to think about you. But I think like you said, just the opposite. It actually frees me up. I, I have to take stock of the emotional realities of my life, otherwise I'm just living on the surface or I'm living just a fakeness all the time. But if I would actually take a few moments of the day at the beginning of the day, to take stock, recognize I love what you said, what's in the harbor, then I'm actually free the rest of the day To be more about you, more about other people than I am consumed with self or just confused about self. So I love that because it's kind of like uh, what seems like a contradiction. It actually frees me up so I can be selfless by taking stock of self. That's really Mm -hmm.
0: good. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's stuck with me ever since it felt so powerful. Like, man, I've never thought to sit and take a couple minutes to start the day and say, where am I at today? But like Ooh. such a, every day that I do it, I never regret it because I just feel so much freedom to be with other people because I've Ooh. been with me in the morning, and so now I can that's move cool. on to being with others. Um, totally. Well, I'm glad we took the time to do this, minus the studio, it's worked out <laughs> okay. And uh, yeah, that's spin. what we've got Ooh. for this week uh, here, yeah. We, we made it happen. With duct tape, uh, it's happening. So, um, But that's what we got for this episode of Tangible Takeaways. Hope that you've enjoyed it. Hope it's been beneficial uh, to you. As always, don't forget to like the video, subscribe so that you get future videos as well. And uh, let us know if you've got something you're taking away from this series here in the one another's. Uh, as we're really excited for where it's going to go from here. Thanks for taking the time today, Pastor Todd.
1: Appreciate it. I love it. Thanks for the invite.
0: All right. Catch you guys on the next one.
1: Okay.